OTL Radio welcomes you to this episode of Understanding Business, a weekly radio program focused around business and personal development topics. The program is hosted by nationally recognized business attorney Peter Lamont and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. As always, we welcome input and feedback from you, the listener, and we encourage you to join in the conversation by calling the live program at 347-855-8831 or by contacting us via our social media sites. Links to our various sites are listed on our main website, utlradio.com. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, welcome to this episode of Understanding Business. And today, our special guest is Captain Michael Abershoff. And Captain Abershoff is the former commander of the U.S. Benfold. He is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. He was the military assistant to the former Secretary of Defense, William Perry. Uh, he is also the founder and CEO of Grassroots Leadership, Inc., which is based out of Boston. We're very excited to be talking to him today about leadership and um, some of the skills that you can learn and develop from business running smoothly. Before we get to let me just thank our sponsor by Audible, the leading provider of books on the internet. And as you know, Audible it's more than 100,000 audio programs, and there's going to be score. If you have gone over trial, you download it. And I've got to tell you, I downloaded this book while I was driving vacation over the summer and straight through. Unbelievable book, and we're going to talk a lot about the topics that Captain Abershaw addresses in the book. But I'll tell you, if you're interested in leadership and running your you know, your ship and, and, and keeping your crew in tight order, download this book, go over to that link, and uh, get it for free. This will supplement today's discussion. So um, head on over. UTL Radio is the code word. Audibletrial.com forward slash UTL Radio. Also want to remind you that your feedback is so important because it allows us to provide you with guests like Captain Abershoff. So make sure you head on over to click the website's post. Uh, your comments, your feedback. I also want to thank who wrote in or otherwise on social media with questions for Captain. I'm going to try to get through as many of them as possible. Abershoff, thank you for being and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Old was anything about you before I read the book, Ben, just because I have an interest but I didn't really know your story and story um, helped me to understand where you came from and understand what you were talking about. Can you talk for a minute about your background and how you got to the command of the Benfold? Well, um, I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania and I was six or seven kids and, and uh, there was no money to send me to college, so I went to the Naval Academy. And uh, I came up through the ranks, uh, getting increasingly uh, more uh, difficult assignments with more responsibility. And uh, one of the highlights of my career was uh, in the summer of 94, uh, the Secretary of Defense, William Perry, was uh, looking for a new military assistant. 
and asked each of the four services to provide three nominees. And, and I happened to be one of the three nominees. But uh, the Navy told me uh, not to get my hopes up because I was not the number one pick. And uh, I ended up uh, getting the job. And, and when I later asked the secretary about a year later, you know, why he hired me, he said I was the only one of 12 people who talked to the rest of the staff as if they were people and how if I got the job, how I would support them and backstop them. And when he asked the staff who they wanted to work with, they said they wanted to work with me. And, um, and I worked for him for 27 months. It was a seven-day-a-week job. And, um, and after that, I was given the assignment of USS Benfold, which wasn't the worst ship in the Pacific Fleet at the time, uh, but we were probably third or fourth from the bottom. And uh, I take command of the ship, and I'm thinking my career's over, that, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not smart enough to turn the ship around. And, and I decided to stop obsessing over all the things that I couldn't influence. And instead, I decided to spend my days obsessing over the things that I could. And, and one of the things I could influence was the crew and, and their motivation and to get them to take ownership and accountability for the results. And uh, at the end of the day, it was the crew that turned the ship around to become the best ship in the Pacific fleet. Yeah, and you know, it's a, it's really an amazing story, especially if you read through your book and, and you see the challenges that you sort of had to deal with in order to take this ship to the number one ship in the fleet. But you said something uh, that I want to touch on for a second. You talked about the fact that uh, you were the one that talked to the other people like they were people, Right. And there's this debate that's gone on for years and years, and it's still something that's talked about today, which is, is a leader born or raised? So is it some sort of innate ability that people have, certain characteristics or qualities that make them a quote-unquote natural-born leader? Or are these leadership um, characteristics honed and developed over the years? So some might say, based on your comment, that you had an innate ability to be a leader. Can you talk for a second about your opinion concerning whether or not a leader is born or made? Well, um, I believe that uh, leaders are made, and it's our leadership styles are a summation of you know all our life's experiences. And um, and my role model for leadership is probably one of the most um, soft-spoken and introverted people I've ever met. And uh, it was a guy. It was William Perry, and um, he was a very humble, and he led with a sense of humility instead of arrogance. And um, I, I called his leadership style excellence without arrogance, as a matter of fact. But what I think the reason why he chose me was, you know, that um, I took an interest in people the way he did, and it doesn't that doesn't come whether you're you know charismatic and outgoing i think it comes from a sense of humility that um you're there to take an interest in others and to serve others and um that's certainly personified william perry's life and that was you know the type of leader that after watching him in action that i wanted to become and so um you know whether you care about people doesn't make you a great leader um but whether, you know, you can couple that uh, serving of others, couple it with your technical ability, um, and lead in a genuine and authentic manner that's, that's 
unique to you. And, uh, and I think that's how you can become a better leader. And I don't think you're born with it or not. I think it's something that you grow and develop and you gain confidence over time. Now, you know, in your opinion and in your experience, there are going to be people that are going to say there's a difference between a leader and a manager. Now, a manager is somebody who is put in place to manage people. A leader is something different. What is your opinion on the difference between a leader and a manager? Well, you know, a manager um, gets schedules done and budgets done and, and, and all sorts of administrative things. Um, a leader communicates with people and inspires people so that, you know, they take ownership and accountability uh, for their results and take pride in what they're doing. And um, what I all, you know, I'm not brilliant. I graduated in the top 80% of my class at the Naval Academy. Uh, What I tried to do was to serve, you know, put my crew in a position where they could deliver the results where they under where they had the confidence to step up to the plate and and be the best that they could be and um and it it's not rocket science but it is you know having that attitude that I'm here to help them get their jobs done better I'm here to support them and that you know I work for them and uh, so it all depends on your attitude and on your outlook I mean that's a a sort of unique perspective because in business today, most of the either the CEOs or the upper level management, I think that's what I have seen that you work for me. You know, you are my employee, you are my staff, my crew. You work. Um, your approach seems to be slightly different from what we see in most leadership styles. Um, can you talk about that for a second? I mean, what about today's modern businessmen? Most of them, and I know it's a, a great generalization, but most of them feel as though you owe them versus where you're saying, you know, I'm here to help you. What do you think about that? Let's talk about that for a second. Well, I think it is a great generalization. And, and um, to be honest, um, nobody wants to be a bad leader, yet um, many are because they don't have the confidence to get up in front of people and, and to lead. And so um, I think that those types of CEOs where it's about them, um, they're mostly insecure and uh, that that's the default position. Uh, whereas I think the, the best leaders, the best CEOs um, are, are not the, you know, the raw, raw cheerleader type. It's, you know, they're, they're quietly professional and, uh, and, and I think they, they do want to be the best uh, but they may not have the confidence and nobody ever showed them how to leap. And, and so as a result, they go to the default position of insecurity and, uh, and that shows up in how they deal with people. So I think, you know, the more comfortable you are with yourself and the um, more secure you are, I think it frees you up to lead in a very genuine and authentic way. And, uh, and, and I think it's uh when I took command of the ship, I started out leading the way I thought the Navy wanted me to lead, not the way I was comfortable with. So once I grew in the position and became more comfortable, I was able to uh, get better results, and I felt better about the way I was leading and, and my style of leadership. 
You know, one of the questions that we received over and over again uh, leading up to the show all hinged on the same question, and I think it's a good time to introduce this question um, because one of the things that, that interested me about your style of leadership, and it was addressed in the book, is that you were somewhat of a maverick and did things that benefited your crew. You know, things like, um, you know, having a New Year's Eve party or having movie nights on the deck, things that, you know, you might not think of because you're, you're got to do it by the book. So one of the questions that we talked about was, how do you as a good leader, a CEO, a president, how do you balance being an employee's friend versus leader? And that line is so often crossed and blurred. How how would you what advice would you give on that topic? Because you know, especially um, with things that you did, some of the the different things that you afforded to the crew, some people could have almost interpreted it as either he's my friend versus he's my boss. Um, I was not their friend. Uh, my goal was to not be their friend. My goal was to earn their respect. And, you know, I never socialized with my sailors. I never went drinking with them. Uh, there was always that professional boundary, and they always knew who was in charge. But at the end of the day, they also knew um, that I cared as much uh, I cared more about their promotions than I cared about my own. And, um, you know, the movie nights are great. The New Year's Eve party is great. But when I took command of the ship, my crew is advancing at only 68% of the Navy average. And to get advanced to the Navy as an enlisted person, you have to take a standardized exam against everybody else in your occupation. And we have 300 ships in the Navy, and you would think that our promotion rates would be roughly the same across all 300. Uh, but my sailors were advancing significantly worse, and I made it a priority of mine to revamp the way we train our people. I attended every training session, um, and I invested in their education, and by the day I left, my crew was advancing at more than 250% of the Navy average. And so, um, you know, if they, I, I wasn't their friend, but they knew that I cared greatly about them succeeding and in, in being on their own, you know, journey in life, and that I was going to be there to support them, that they be, that they came to trust me, and that led to, you know, greater sense of pride in themselves, knowing that their chain of command had their back. Yeah, I think that's a very important point because I think a lot of leaders, CEOs, I think they think that in order to get the respect that they want from their employees, they need to befriend them. And I think that that has the exact opposite effect because then I think you have a lack of respect. You don't recognize them as the leader, and I think it can backfire. Have you seen situations like that occur? I have, and then uh, it leads to another problem in that, you know, what if you don't go drinking with the boss? Um, you know, and the boss just goes drinking with a couple of the people and not the whole group then the people who aren't playing golf or who aren't out socializing feel like, you know, they're not, you know, part of the in crowd and, and uh, they become resentful towards those who, who do socialize with the boss. So it's a, it's a very fine line and it's a slippery slope. And so you either socialize with everybody or you socialize with nobody, but to pick and choose your favorites and, um, is, um, 
And I think that that's a very important lesson for you know our listeners to understand. Um, I think that leading in in the manner you're describing helped you earn the respect of your crew and did not alienate. Uh, in fact, you know what I thought was was interesting about your style too is that you were very interested in speaking with all of your shipmates about their opinions. I mean, you did, you conducted exit strategies, and if I recall correctly, you read every single one of them. What was your focus and purpose behind, you know, looking at your um, exit, exit surveys and feedback from your crew? How important was gathering and reviewing and analyzing that feedback for you? So um, I interviewed every sailor on the ship, and I spent 20 to 30 minutes with each sailor getting to know them, their names, their spouses' names, their hometowns. Um, And uh, if you are a newly reporting sailor, you had to come see me within your first uh, 48 hours on board the ship for an introduction interview. And if you were getting out, um, I – so sailors enlist – in the Navy for, you know, four-year contracts or six-year contracts. And uh, we had a, uh, an awful retention rate to the point where we had constant uh, personnel churn and we had vacant billets. And if we did get a new sailor, they were untrained and I had to train them. And it was a, a vicious downward spiral. And everybody said, oh, you can't do anything about the retention rate uh, because we don't pay our sailors enough, pay sailors enough. And I could have bought into that, but instead I did exit surveys as people were walking out the door and they could be honest with me. I found out that pay was number five on the list of reasons why they were leaving us. Um, Number one, they didn't feel like they were being treated with respect in the workplace. Number two, they didn't feel like they were being listened to. Uh, Number three, they didn't feel like uh, they were making a difference. And number four, they didn't feel like they were being groomed for increased positions of leadership and responsibility. So when people aren't getting those top four things, the, the easy default answer is, oh, it's our pay, something we can't do anything about. And the data showed me that um, I could do something about those top four issues because it didn't cost a dime to do, and I didn't need to get anybody's permission to do it. Uh, but it it helped me uh, get past this, you know, pay is is, is why we're leaving. Right. And so, um, you know, and I also had, so I knew nine months in advance of the end date of a sailor's contract, um, and they came up to see me for a retention interview. And it gave me the opportunity to find out which way they were leaning, whether they were uh, planning on getting out or they were, you know, on the bubble, not knowing whether to stay in or not. And I said, well, what would keep you in? And sometimes they would say, oh, I'd, I'd like to get additional education or additional training. Or I need to be put, you know, I need to move back with my family to the East Coast. If you give me nine months, I can solve just about any problem that's keeping somebody from staying in. But mm-hmm. if you wait until the day that they make the decision, you know, until their last day to ask them why they're leaving, you can't do anything about it at that point. So I was kind of novel in getting out in front with these interviews, you know, nine months in advance while I could still do something about it. You know, and then keep in contact with the person, show them that, you know, we 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 want to keep them, and this is what we're doing, and uh, and we went from having an eight percent retention rate 
to almost 100% of my last year, then it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, being disciplined uh, and having a process and listening to the people and also coaching them and guiding them that maybe staying is staying in is the best for them career wise and showing them, you know, why it's in their own best interest. So did it take up a lot of my time? Yes. But because we were keeping more people, we could get from the basic level of training and build on that experience, get to the intermediate level of performance because, you know, we had a stable workforce and ultimately it got us to the, the top level of performance um, because we didn't have personnel churn. Now, let's apply that for a second to uh, corporations, you know, obviously non-military personnel. Um, how important do you think it is for companies, whether they're small, large, international, you know, a mom-and-pop shop, whatever it might be, how important is it to, A, listen to your employees, and, B, conduct things like exit surveys? This week, and uh, they're in the service industry, and they have uh, high turnover, and um, they were looking for all sorts of, you know, reasons why people were leaving other than shining the mirror on themselves and realizing their people were leaving their frontline supervisors. So um, I'm a, I love fixing processes and procedures. And if people are, uh, if we're trying to solve the wrong problem, uh, we end up making a lot of mistakes. So the key is listening and using the data to find out what the problem is exactly um, so that you can apply the, the right uh, medicine, you know, for the problem. Right. And so by me interviewing every sailor and listening and looking at the data, um, it, it enabled me to be more, more thoughtful and more precise in, in a, applying the fix. And so corporations, need to understand, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in the people business. And then the fight today is for, you know, the most talented and the most dedicated workers. And if you have a reputation for not providing that, you know, that experience, that great experience uh, to your people, and if you're known as the manager who's only in it for yourself and don't do anything to advance your crew, then you know, you won't attract the best and the brightest and, and your job will be that much tougher. So what this type of leadership style gets you is the best and brightest want to come work for you. It lifts burdens off your shoulders so that you have the time and the date to go out and do 500 or or $1,000 an hour work. You know, and I, I think that um, what the takeaway should be is, is the importance. I mean, you talk in your book about listening aggressively and, and making sure you understand the needs of your people and developing this level of trust. You know, I think that those people, because there are a ton, unfortunately, of these cynical, very selfish CEOs who think to themselves, you know, I'll do anything to promote my business, to make it grow, to put more money in my pocket. I understand what Captain Abershoff is saying, but what I really care about is making more money. And from a cynical standpoint, you know, something that you and I are not advocating, uh, the fact remains that if you, whether you believe it or not, listen to the people that work with you, the end result, while you're helping them, 
you are also going to profit. Your company is going to be better for it. Is that you know, do you agree with that statement? That's exactly right. This is this leadership style is about results. It's not about being liked. Um, it's not about having a good time. It's about driving excellence and business results and keeping our people safe and our organization safe. And uh, that's what drove me was, you know, keeping the organization safe. And and at the end of the day, if your motivation is only compensation, uh, you're going to want to be the best so that you can uh, get the best results and you're going to have to have the best people working for you. They're going to have to be the best led. Uh, but this this is all about, you know, performance and, and business results by treating people well in a manner in which you yourself you don't want to be treated. Right. Now, you talk a lot in the book about leading by example. And I want to talk about that for a second because there are, are you know, people we've had on the show before. Um, it, we've actually, believe it or not, we've had a lot of um, people involved in sailing. Uh, there's a show on Bravo called uh, Above Deck, and it's, uh, it's about charter ships and captains. And we've talked to some of the captains on the show. And one of the things that we have talked about with these people is primarily leading by example means doing what the crew does, getting involved in the day-to-day. And some people will take issue with that point and say, well, wait a minute, leading by example doesn't mean that I'm serving up you know, lunch. It means something different. Can you talk about your feelings and, and definitions of leading by example? So um, if you're in a management position or a leadership position, your people are going to watch everything you do every day, every action you take. And um, you need to make sure that – I'm sorry. You need to make sure that the actions that you want to send. And – and so if there's a disconnect between uh, what you are espousing versus what your actions are indicating, then it creates cynicism among your people. And so um, that's why leading example to me is about making sure that my own personal actions are in accordance with you know, what I'm telling my people to do. And, and, and how I want them to carry things out. And so uh, what people in leadership need to understand is, you know, we're being watched uh, 24-7 by our people, and we need to understand the signals that we're sending off so that we're sending the right message to our people. So for those people who will say, well, you know, leading by example is is getting in there, getting my hands dirty, and showing the crew that I can do the same job that they can do, or... If I own a restaurant, I know I'm out there and I'm I'm waiting tables too. Um, does that sort of approach benefit people in leadership roles, or is that something completely separate from the way you're describing leading by example? You know, it's a it's a difficult question um, because each situation is different. For example, um, when people don't take pride in their organization and in themselves you know, standards start to slide. And um, I had an admiral tell me one time, um, there's no such thing as a great, dirty ship. 
in that if the ship isn't clean, then the performance isn't good either because people aren't uh, paying attention to the details. And, of course, you know, when I got there, Penfold was one of the dirtiest ships I'd ever seen. And so when I would walk down the passageway, if I saw a trash on the deck, you know, I'd stoop over and, and pick it up. And uh, I, I wanted to show the sailors that, you know, we don't tolerate mediocrity and that we don't walk past things that aren't right without making an effort to fix it. But, but if I was taking out the trash on a routine basis, um, that wouldn't be good because then I'm doing the, you know, the work that my sailors are supposed to be doing. So it's a fine line between um, being supportive and not walking past anything that isn't right without making an effort to fix it and, you know, being one of them. And so, um, you know, if you're a restaurant owner, I can't tell you, um, you know, whether you should wait tables or not um, because you have to do what's, what's right for you. Uh, but I do know that each situation is different, and you need to understand the the impact of the signals that that you're trying to send. And uh, the signal that I was trying to send when I pick up trash off the deck is we don't walk past things that are not right without stopping to fix it. So I know it's uh, it's uh, maybe not the answer you're looking for, but I think it's all situational dependent, and we all have our roles. And um, I had to be careful. Uh, I, I'm not going to do, you know, my sailor's job. I expect them to do it. Um, but I do want to show empathy, empathy, you know, for the jobs that are very demanding and dangerous that I understand, you know, the situations that they're in and I'm going to do whatever I can to help you get your job done better. No, I think, I think you make some really good points because a lot of the companies that we've worked with or we've, we've spoken to, there gets to be a point in the organization, whether it's during a period of growth or a period of decline, where you have leaders that are actually engaging in that the employees or the staff are supposed to be doing. And then it leads to almost this, well, you're one of us kind of view. And that seems to have a very detrimental effect on the organization. How, do you, how would you suggest that a leader of a company, a manager, a CEO, a president, walk that fine line between setting the example of this is how we do it and doing their job? So um, I know uh, of a ship where they get a new captain, and uh, he was a nuclear-trained engineer. Uh, one of the smartest engineers we have in the Navy. And when he became captain of the ship, becoming the leader for all five departments on the ship, he chose to focus on what he was good at, which was engineering, and he became the super chief engineer on the ship. And he started doing everything in the engineering department because he could. He knew how to do it right. to the point where the sailors got frustrated they just folded their arms and they said, well, if you want to do it, then have at it. And so the sailors just stood aside while the captain did, did all the work in the engineering department. And what was funny was this ship was the first new construction ship in the history of the Navy that flunked their first engineering certification while having 
the premier engineer in the Navy as the commanding officer. And as a result, the other four departments um, fell apart at the same time. And so uh, one time I was speaking to a, a pharmaceutical company. And, you know, a great salesperson became the head of sales. And no deal could close in this organization unless the head of sales was part of it. And so as a result, um, uh, instead of becoming the leader of the sales organization, he became the super, you know, sales person. And everybody else was resentful. They took a little less ownership because they knew that they couldn't close the deal unless, you know, this person was involved in taking the credit for it. And so our challenge as, you know, we climb the ranks is, um, you know, we got to where we are because we're technically competent. But when we're put in those leadership roles, uh, it's about how we blend our leadership, our technical skills with our leadership skills so that we can inspire and lead others to do it. And so um, you've got to um, avoid trying to become the super sales person or the super chief engineer and and be the leader and hold people accountable when training them and, and getting them to, to carry out the work. So, so for example, I mean, the way that, that you could sort of illustrate this would be if you are that super sales person, you could certainly give your sales staff those pointers and tips and show them how it's done in an example and then let them do it on their own versus taking over and making, you know, everything has to come through you. Is that sort of how you would approach that? Exactly right. And what I, what I did on the ship was I let, I would let sailors or officers do something. And, you know, as long as they were doing roughly the right thing, I'd let them do it. But then after they did it, I'd say, okay, what did you learn from this? And what would you do differently next time you, you face this situation? So I forced them to critique themselves as to how they could do things better. And, uh, and as a result, they learn from their mistakes and, you know, they, they gain experience so that I don't have to be there the next time. Right. And so uh, it's critical to, you know, if, if, a, if somebody on the ship uh, wanted to do something a certain way, and even if it wasn't the way I would have done it personally, if I thought they could get there, I'd let them do it just so that they could gain the experience. And then, then we'd sit around and talk about it. You know, what worked, what didn't work, what, what are you going to do differently next time to get better results? And that's how they learn, and that's how they get better. Yeah, and I think that that's something that, that companies often overlook is, is the idea of this act after-action report, um, sitting down and looking at something that they've done and determining what they did right, what they did wrong. And it doesn't need to be a three-hour seminar. It can simply be a few minutes of let's look at how this worked out because you can learn so much from the way you handled something. There's always a better, more efficient, more effective way to handle something. But if you don't look at what you've done and analyze it, how are you ever going to get better? And you can learn just as much from successful things as you can from things that didn't work out. Right. And if you uh, focus, you know, how, why did this work? A lot of times we don't understand why things worked out the way they did. We would review it and say, how can we do even better the next time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one uh, other popular question that we received uh, deals with the idea of 
managing people or leading people in an organization where you are inevitably going to have people that are trying to undermine your authority, people who are not playing by the rules, who are trying to uh, you know, do things their way, and they're not interested in the way that you want it done. And every organization has those people. How, you know, I mean, look, you managed essentially and led this, this massive uh, team of sailors. I'm sure you had people on the Benfold that were, um, you know, troublemakers in a sense, for lack of a better better term. How would you answer that question and advise people in leadership roles in, in companies about the, the bad eggs in their organization? Um, I knew who they were, um, and they got interviews with me, and I laid out in no uncertain terms how I expected them to behave and to perform. And it's that uh, non-compliance would be painful. And uh, but the key is, I knew what was going on at every level of the organization. And if it, in the, and it wasn't me, you know, that was out there listening, you know, to the lower lower levels. You know, I had people in the organization that I could trust, and I say, hey, what's going on out there? What's the mood? What's happening? And um, and I could get information as to you know, who are the people who aren't complying so that I could bring them into my cabin and let them know that, that I know they're not complying. And then I'd ask them, you know, why aren't you? And, and, and sometimes we think they have nefarious motives. A lot of times they just didn't know how they were showing up and they thought they were showing up one way and didn't understand the impact that they were having on people. And so these conversations weren't uh, confrontational. They weren't adversarial. It was, hey, I, I don't know if you know this, but this is how you're showing up. Um, do you mean to be that way? And if not, let's talk about, you know, what markers we can start changing so that, you know, you do show up better. And so, right. you know, we always describe, you know, the person's a bad person. No, they, they may just not be, they may be insecure. They may not have the confidence in, the, confidence in themselves. And nobody ever has those critical conversations with them. And, you know, part of a leader's job is to have those critical conversations and to let people know how they're showing up. And if they're not comporting to, to the way I want them to, you know, make sure they know that uh, what the expectations are and, uh, and what will happen if they don't change and, uh, and, and give them the training uh, in, a, in a positive, constructive way so that they can change and improve. If I recall correctly, there was a um, a portion of the book where you talked about a sailor that was acting in a manner that you didn't approve of. And I, if I recall, and maybe you could talk about this for a second, I think you sat down with him, did just that, and and sort of turned this sailor around to the point where he became a valuable member of the crew. We, there were many sailors... Uh, that we did that. And, you know, they're young kids. And, you know, when I look back when I was 21 years old and, uh, you know, how immature I was and how I had, you know, I didn't know everything and had to learn. And so, you know, I understood where they were coming from. And so I didn't castigate them. I, I didn't make them feel bad. It was, um, this is how you, how I want you to perform in the organization. And, um, one officer that I got had been uh, fired off another ship. And at the time, we were so short of uh, junior officers 
the admiral asked me to to take him on board to try to you know uh, turn him around and uh, and everybody said you know he's got a lousy personality you'll never be able to turn him around and you know I brought him into my cabin and, and he was he had a reputation for being abusive to his people and it all stemmed from insecurity uh, and you know people had bullied him and picked on him in his previous job and in return you know he bullied those that he could which were the people beneath him and so i made him understand that we don't bully people on this ship um and that i authorized you know his his chief petty officer who worked for him to call him on the carpet if he ever uh demeaned or bullied uh, any of his sailors and so it was, it was unusual i'd never seen a situation where the chief petty officer was authorized to correct the officer. But uh, in this case, until this officer turned around, the, the chief had carte blanche to coach and to um, call on the carpet if, if he uh, got out of line. And so um, this young officer's name's Elliot. Uh, I was talking to him on Sunday. You know, 14 years later, he still calls me for advice on situations uh, with his current job. And, and, um, he now has the confidence and he's no longer insecure and, you know, he's kind of turned his life around and his professional life around. I could have written him off um, the way his previous captain did on another ship. Um, but, you know, the Admiral told me to, to see what I could do. And, and uh, I did what I found was necessary to, to give him the confidence. And what was funny was he was a brilliant guy and he knew, uh, military tactics better than most any other officer on the ship. It's just that he had been damaged from bullying um, his whole life that he was abusive to, to those uh, underneath him. And once we corrected the situation in a non-adversarial way, you know, he completely turned around. And I think that... And I'm, illust- proud, and I'm, proud, to, and I'm proud to call him a friend today. Right. I think that illustrates the point that we made at the beginning of the show, which is our leaders born or made. And I mean, I, I think that is a good illustration of the fact that you could have an upbringing, a childhood, prior experiences with a job that were negative, that sort of shaped who you are at that moment. But you can learn and unlearn some of those negative things. And so those people that say you're, a, you know, you have to be born a leader or born with those characteristics. I don't think that that's true, and I think that that story illustrates here you have someone with a history of uh, of bullying, and so that's what they know, and that's how they know how to handle. Uh, but you were able to, to sort of change that, that behavior, and so that's, I think, an important point to make about your people that you have working for you. you can, well, and you, I couldn't change it by bullying him. I had to change it by, um, you know, critical conversations, but in a in a non-adversarial way where I didn't add to his misery, but instead tried to build him up. Absolutely. Now, um, we've got about 15 minutes left, and I want to touch on one other point that I think is very important for businesses to understand, especially in today's modern age with the Internet and with social media and the way that we're we're conducting business today, whether it's a product-based business or a service-based business, and that is the importance of uh, you talk about it in your book, going beyond standard operating procedure and the importance of risk-taking. So you're going to have those businesses, especially some of the old stodgy-type businesses like lawyers and accountants, 
um, who say this is the way it's always been done and this is the way it has to be done in order to do it right. But you talk in your book about here's the naval standard operating procedure. You have to be able to say, well, this doesn't really work. And the the fact that you're willing to go and and analyze it and say, let's try something different, is in and of itself a risk that you're taking. Can you talk for a few minutes about the importance of going beyond the standard operating procedure and risk-taking in today's business world? I think um, not taking a risk is worse than taking a risk and coming up a little bit short. Um, Because, um, you know, we're, you know, corporate America today, every business, whether it's, you know, a small business or a large business, you know, we're under um, tremendous pressure. Uh, There's so much competition. And uh, we've got to be constantly changing and improving, listening to our customers, putting ourselves in their shoes and viewing our operations through their eyes. And we need to be constantly um, improving uh, the service that we provide to them. And we need to be seen as a solution provider to them because, you know, our customers are under the gun as well. Everybody is doing more with less these days. You know, corporate mm-hmm. America has been cut back so much that some people are doing the jobs that two or three people used to do. And so um, we need to be seen as helping them solve problems and uh, helping uh, them get their jobs done better. And in a dynamic economy that we have today, to be wedded to um, an old way of doing business just because that's the way we've always done it, uh, we're going to slowly become irrelevant. And so um, what, you know, in the military, you know, the world situation today, our adversaries are constantly changing their tactics. If we aren't entrepreneurial and out there uh, anticipating those changes and adapting our strategies to meet them, you know, we're going to fall behind. So taking risk is all about, you know, we're technically competent at what we do, but we also anticipate what the future is going to look like. And we put ourselves in a position to be that provider of choice to our customer. You know, even if they don't understand that they have the needs right now, we anticipate that we're going to put ourselves in a position to be there and we're going to be that solution provider when they have that need. And to do that, you have to be uh, visionary. You have to anticipate change. But you also have to take prudent, calculated risks to put yourself in a position to take advantage, you know, of those opportunities when they arise in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, that's that's exactly what a lot of companies are missing, the idea of uh, of risk. I mean, I remember back when I was working at a law firm when the Internet first sort of became relevant and there was this absolute fear that the Internet would become this massive problem. And so nobody was allowed to use it. And even though there were great tools and resources, there were other firms that were developing that and utilizing it. And even in a a short matter matter of time or a short uh, amount of time, our firm fell behind and ultimately caught up. But, you know, and that was back years and years ago, but it took them a while. And when you're now in a deficit, you're behind your competition. It takes more effort and energy to try to catch up. Whereas taking that calculated risk and seeing what's there to be seen, I think, is, is very relevant and important in today's business climate. Absolutely. And me personally, with my consulting company, 
I'm traveling a little bit behind the power curve on using social media. And, uh, and now I have to play catch up uh, and do more to, to write blogs and, you know, uh, postings online so that, you know, I stay relevant in the eyes of, you know, people who, you know, who are students of leadership. And uh, it's an area that, you know, I've, I've been so busy. I travel a lot, and, and I was hesitant to embrace social media. But guess what? You know, our, our millennials today, that's all they use. And yeah. so uh, if if we don't uh, get out in front of it, we're going to fall behind, and it's going to be that much more difficult to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, since you mentioned your business, let's talk about that for a second. Please, you know, tell us what your company is, what you're doing, and how people can contact you, because I think it was very clear from, from today's discussion that you have a wealth of knowledge and your experience in the military and with Benfold can help other companies move their, you know, quote-unquote crew along. So tell us about your business and how people can get in contact with you. Well, my business is um, based on my experience as captain of the ship. You know, the Navy put me in charge of the ship and really never told me how to do it. Uh, there was no how-to guide. You know, I had to learn along the way. And and in business today, what I found out since I left the Navy 13 years ago, um, you know, people are doing more with less, and uh, everybody is stressed out. People don't have time to, to sit in, you know, five-day, you know, leadership programs anymore. And, and at the end of the day, it's not really effective to begin with. And so um, what I've been working on is what I wish I had had in command of the ship was a, a leadership toolkit that uh, I could spend, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a week, you know, focusing on a, on a leadership topic and that it comes to me um, through technology that, you know, go interview your people this week or, you know, get up and take 15 minutes and, and go, you know, talk to somebody you know, about their experience. And so what I've developed is a, a technology-fueled uh, leadership development program that doesn't add to your, you know, weekly workload, but rather helps you get it done better, only by taking, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a week to work on one particular topic. And the way you learn leadership and uh, make it sustainable is by doing experiential things. So the program is experiential, uh, and it's done over a period of, you know, four or five months uh, as opposed to four or five days. And uh, we've been successful with companies. You know, companies have core competencies that they expect their people to, to lead to, yet they don't give them a how-to uh, meet those core competencies. And so what we've been doing is mapping this leadership journey to a company's core competencies so that when people, you know, get evaluated, they know what the standards are and they've been given the offer to learn how to, how to achieve those standards. And, uh, and I, so I think this program is probably out in front in utilizing technology to keep people on the job and to help them uh, go through this experiential journey Without making it, without making additional demands on them and their time. Right. And so, uh, my company's name is GLS Worldwide, and the website is glsworld.com. 
and uh, and we have it all laid out. Uh, and we use a lot of assessments um, as part of this journey. Uh, and through uh, uh, behavioral assessments, you know, we can find out what your motivators are. And I did it the old-fashioned way. I spent you know 20 to 30 minutes with each sailor, and I'd ask them what their goals were, and and it's helped me to tailor my message to each sailor so that, you know, I could help them accomplish their goals and, and help understand what motivates them so that I can uh, relate to them better and connect with them better. And, uh, you know, through our work with the leadership journey, um, it helps a leader get to that, you know, attain that, obtain that knowledge much quicker than what it took me on the ship, you know, 13 years ago. Right. And and that, quite frankly, is the best way for people to learn how to develop business and personal skills by modeling others who have already been through it and, and, and have experienced the journey. Uh, that's why we do programs like this, because, you know, how much better is it to learn from somebody and their experience instead of trying to recreate the wheel at you know, people like Captain Abershoff, like yourself, have already been through. And I think that that, that knowledge can be extremely beneficial uh, to people that are interested in learning how to develop themselves as a leader and to benefit their company. So learn from experience. Don't recreate the wheel. And that sounds to me like what your program and your company is founded upon. Right. And, you know, we're, everybody's too busy today to go out and recreate the wheel. Let's Let's pick and choose those best practices uh, that in areas where we're weak uh, so that we can work on that development uh, and learn from the people who have already been through, have already been there, and, uh, and we can benefit from their wisdom, become even better. Right. So one more time, for those people that are out there that would like to communicate with Captain Abershoff to learn more about his programs, public speaking, and that sort of thing, uh, can you give us the website one more time, Captain? glsworld.com, golflimasierraworld.com, and uh, my uh, email is mabershoff at glsworld.com. And links to the email and to the site will be on utlradio.com as well, so you can go there. Uh, and once the video portion of this show is posted, uh, these links will be there too, so you can go and check out what Captain Abershoff and his company have to offer. Captain, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the program today and to share your experiences and your knowledge with us and our listeners. You got it, Peter. Thank you for having me. Very, very welcome. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. You too. Bye-bye. So we just spoke to Captain Michael Abershoff, who was the former commander of the USS Benfold, and um, a lot of very useful, practical information provided uh, by Captain Abershoff. And I think that it's really important that you know we continue as leaders, as CEOs, as managers and, and heads of departments, and, and whatever you might be in your field or career, to understand the importance of continual growth and learning. And, and like I said, and I've said in the past, we do these programs for you to be able to model the experiences of those people who have already been through scenarios that you're experiencing now. So why you know, learn through trial by fire or recreating the wheel 
when you can look at people who have had these experiences. You know, take Captain Abershaw for a second. I, I imagine, imagine where you are right now if you're a manager or a leader uh, or a CEO, CEO, whatever it might be. Imagine having to run a crew on a floating office like the Benfold and uh, dealing with all the different personalities and ultimately you are in charge and the decision maker. And that seems daunting to so many when you think about some of the problems that smaller companies have where maybe there's 10, 15, or 30, or 40 employees and uh, it's overwhelming to deal with the, the management or leadership uh, roles that you, you might have in order to get your team to function on all cylinders. So uh, I think that it's important to take the time and to experience through the eyes of somebody who's already been there some of these uh, scenarios, and then you can hone the skills that they're talking about. You know, and here's the important point that you need to understand with respect to this program and some of the other programs that we've run. You may listen to this program, and you may get one piece, one small piece of information that you've not heard before, or perhaps a small piece of information that you have heard before, but for some reason it's presented in a manner this time that it clicks and you understand it. And then you can employ that newfound knowledge or skill to help you and your organization move forward in a positive manner. So even if you've heard these things before, even if you understand it, maybe this time it's being said in a different way and now it clicks. So that's the importance of these programs. Listen to what our guests have to say and learn and take the bits and pieces that you need to help your organization and yourself move forward. Always, always have to be learning in order to succeed in today's business world. Whether you are a real estate agent or an attorney or a doctor, I mean, that's why Professions like doctor, lawyer, um, you know, real estate agent, uh, they have these, these requirements for continuing education. And most states in the country have requirements. Lawyers go through continuing legal education courses over a set period of time because the world, the law, corporate America, it changes. It's changing so rapidly that you need to be you know, at the forefront of that change, you need to be able to see what the trends are, what's going on, how things have changed from last year. And it's really, really important to understand that if you're in a profession, there is no requirement that you have to attend a continuing education course. Understand the importance of making sure you know what's going on in today's business world. Don't become irrelevant. Don't become the dinosaur understand and embrace the changes that are happening in today's business environment. And if you don't have the time to sit through a five-day or, or, or four-day leadership seminar, nobody does. And, and that's exactly what Captain Abershoff said when he was referring to the work that he's doing uh, with his company and with this toolkit that he's created. Let's do it a little at a time. You know, sometimes... It, 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 it makes sense to take on a project and, and you know, throw everything into it and do it all at once. The majority of our lives, both personal and business, we have 
some tasks which seem insurmountable. We talked about this last week with Matt Roloff, and, uh, and the example given was when Matt decided, and remember, Matt is a little person who has obvious physical limitations that have not slowed him down at all. He wanted to climb that mountain. He knew he had to take it piece at a time. And that's exactly what Captain Abershoff's program does, um, which is let's take it a little at a time. You don't need a five-day seminar. Let's do 15, 20 minutes a week. So we can all find 15 or 20 minutes a week. But the key is to have that desire to want to learn and want to move forward. And, and you know, listen, we work with so many CEOs, CFOs, and companies, and owners, and what have you, who say, I don't have the time. Well, we've talked about this with other people. How do you find the time? Watch 15 minutes less television in a given week and do something that's going to move your, your profession, your career, your ability to lead or to manage forward. If you're working and you're in a role where you're leading, managing, or you know, are responsible for some important facet of your company, then you cannot afford the luxury of sitting back and doing nothing. You have to be willing to learn on a consistent basis and then employ some of the things that, that you can learn. Listen, you can listen to programs like ours and glean a, a, some information from it and then put that into place. And that's why we do it. So it's, it's an hour once a week. And it's meant to give you that rapid blast of education to help you move forward. So, you know, I, I think that um, having guests like Captain Abershoff really open up our listeners to a new world of, of potential. I mean, when you hear somebody like Matt Roloff, who runs a farm and has businesses, and then you hear somebody like Cord McCoy, who is a professional bull rider and has to, had to overcome challenges after a tragic accident. And then you hear people like Fabio Viviani, who uh, made something from nothing and became a, a celebrity chef. And then someone like Captain Abershoff. They're all different experiences. I mean, Captain Abershoff's experience as a naval commander is different than Matt Roloff's experiences or Fabio Viviani's. But when you take all of those discussions that we've had with our guests, and you pull bits and pieces from it, it can create a roadmap to success for you and your organization. And how important is it to learn from others? It's critical in my opinion. Absolutely critical. So I hope that these programs are encouraging you to continue to learn and develop your skills and to... Um, you know, sort of look at the way you're doing things in your business. There's always a better way. There's always a more efficient way. And while it's never a good idea to constantly change, it's always a good idea to be ready to embrace change and to be willing to see what's working, what's not working, and then make that shift towards something that is going to work better for you. So it's so critical. Don't get stuck 
Don't get pigeonholed. Don't say, this is the way it's always been done, and that's how we're going to do it. Look at it. Some of the advice that Captain Abershoff gave, it's in his book, It's Your Ship, you really should consider. For example, meeting with your employees and discussing the way things are. Getting to know them so that you can figure out strengths and weaknesses. You know, how many companies we've been involved with where somebody is hired uh, in a particular position, and then you realize that they have strengths elsewhere, and you don't shift that person over to that department or division because that's not what they were hired for. And that's very foolish because you need to understand the talents, the limitations of your, your team in order to put them into a place that's best suited for them. I mean, that's, for example, uh, football players, right? Uh, if you go back and you look at the careers of some professional football players and you get into their college careers, take somebody like uh, Brian Bosworth, for example. Brian Bosworth, when he was in high school and in college, he was not just a linebacker. He was a running back. I mean, they put him in different positions, but when they got him to you know um to to the college level where you know now we're moving forward into a lot of the bowl games and then when he he was drafted for the Seahawks it became all right what's your best asset what is your you know um your skill set and it doesn't matter if you were a successful running back in uh, high school or the early stages of your college career let's look and see what you're good at now and let's put you there and obviously, um, while a controversial player, certainly um, a, a, a high-caliber, high-quality impact player who fulfilled the role of linebacker in a very successful manner, um, you know, unfortunately, injuries you know, cut, cut his career short. But the point that I'm making here is just because somebody is hired for a position or just because somebody says, this is what I do, you need to be able to analyze what their, their, their strengths and weaknesses are. And don't be afraid to shift somebody, whether it's a lateral move or it's a, it's a completely you know, new thought process of bringing in a team leader or a team manager. You know, you've got to be able to see what's there to be seen. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to be critical of yourself, make a self-critical analysis of what your strengths and weaknesses are, and continue to grow and learn by engaging us, by listening to the programs, by downloading the content, you know, by checking out some of the books and, and um, other resources that we talk about on the show. So at the top of the show, I, I thanked our sponsor, Audible. I want to remind you again, if you want to get a copy, a free audio copy of Captain Abershoff's book, It's Your Ship, which again, um, you know, I'm not getting paid to say this. I read it myself. It's an excellent, excellent book. You can, you can make use of the list that Audible gives you, audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio. Go get your free copy of the audiobook. Listen to it 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes a week, whatever you can work into your schedule, but never stop learning because that's going to keep you and your company moving forward in a positive way progressive direction. So 
Uh, I hope this information has been helpful. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Captain Abershoff, and I hope that you would leave some feedback and comments and let us know what you're thinking about the programs, about how our show has evolved throughout this year. And in, in the upcoming weeks, we are going to schedule sort of a recap show so we can look back at the year and see how many unbelievable and helpful interviews we've conducted with some uh, very successful and well-known people and uh, sort of do a recap and take what we learned during those interviews and talk about it in an upcoming show um, as part of our our year-end review of Understanding Business. And looking forward into into 2015, we've got a number of, of guests lined up for the early stages, the first quarter of 2015, and so I encourage you to stick with us, continue to uh, leave your feedback and your comments, let us know what you like, communicate with us. I mean, that is the true point of social media. Let's engage each other. Everybody that has posted a comment or a question, we respond to. And I try to do the responses personally. Uh, e- even if it's time-consuming, I'm going to make sure that I answer your questions or I acknowledge your comments. You leave them on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, or directly through email, which can be found at utlradio.com. I'm going to engage with you because it's so critical to what we're doing. I want to see you and your business succeed, so I'm looking forward to 2015 and the new guests that we have on. And I'm also very much looking forward to the recap show that we'll do. Um, If you look at utlradio.com, we'll post the date for the recap show. And in the event that you missed any of the interviews this year, we'll be able to recap them for you. And then if it's something that you think you're interested in, I encourage you to go back and download the show that you were interested in. Uh, So if it's Cord McCoy that you want to hear, go back and download the show. They're available on iTunes. They're available through Blog Talk Radio. They're available through our app, which is free, and through utlradio.com. So plenty of opportunity for you to find the material, to find the shows, listen to it, and to... Um, you know, continue to grow. I want to thank you for listening today. Thank uh, all of you who submitted your comments and questions for Captain Abershoff. Unfortunately, uh, we were not able to get through many of them, but I did try to group together some of the recurring questions, and Captain Abershoff was able to address them. If you have additional questions or comments, post them. We'll get them to Captain Abershoff, and we'll either ask him to come back on to answer those questions or I'll have them answer them for you directly. So thank you again. Uh, have a, a wonderful end of the week. We will be back Monday with Week in Review with my co-host Bob Hughes. We're going to be talking about some of the recent developments that have occurred over the course of this week, NFL, um, and obviously the ongoing concern over police brutality. We talked about it last week, but uh, uh, don't miss this show. Uh, we're also going to be scheduling a week in review, year-end review. So, um, you know, excited to do that as well. So uh, for, for myself and everyone else here at Utility Radio, thank you for listening. And remember that there's power in understanding the law.